You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. This is Tunnel Vision and a new edition. We have Chris Trevito and Shotgun Spratling here in studio. We have to recap USC's big recruiting weekend. They had a junior day on Saturday. A lot of visitors came to the USC campus. We also had the Battle of the Beach 7-on-7 seven seven tournament. We got to see a lot of USC targets there. And all three of us today were at the Under Armour UA Next camp in Los Angeles, checking out some of the top prospects around the region that USC has interest in, including... Uh, the Losal five-star quarterback, Malachi Nelson, who I believe, Chris, number two player in the country right now, the latest ranking. Number two overall, only trailing to Arch Manning. So he's, wow. number, he's technically the number two quarterback. Number one on the West Coast, obviously. So Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, for USC, having guys like that, five-star uh, players that they're involved in, it's a big deal. So it was a big recruiting weekend for USC, so we wanted to... Uh, Touching that, we want to preview a little bit of spring football, some of the uh, position battles we think that would be really interesting. Chris has had some stories where I predicted the uh, depth chart and all that, so we'll do that. And also, we have to talk about this little thing called USC basketball. Um, yes, the Trojans lost a couple in a row, but they're going in the Pac-12 tournament, and they'll have the number three seed, so they got a good chance there. Uh, we'll have an opportunity to, to uh, try to beat the teams that they already lost to, UCLA, and then potentially Arizona in the finals, if they're able to advance on Thursday, both Shotgun and I will be there along with a couple of interns. Full-on coverage of USC basketball from Las Vegas. Uh, well, guys, now that people can hear us, uh, welcome in. Chris, thanks for coming to the studio. I know you're a little apprehensive about doing tunnel vision. Maybe this sort of, you know, having the whole, like, uh, technical snafu to start the show. Maybe, like, how it settles your stomach a little bit. Usually when I do this show, I'm just like a ball of nerves, but today I'm just like... I don't care. I'm, I don't care. I'm too tired to care. I'm in that little space of, you know, you're so tired, you get delirious. Yeah. I'm like I'm like a couple minutes from that, so it's going to get real interesting in a half an hour. So yeah. just just so look forward to just, that, just putting viewers on notice. Yeah, it was a long day. We, uh, you know, were down at Under Armour at Mission Viejo at like 9 in the morning or so. It got started. Got to see a lot of players. They cycled them through. I thought they ran it pretty efficiently. We'll get to that. We'll welcome in Shotgun Spratling. As well, who's traveling in from the East Coast, has been covering basketball and baseball and football and just trying to pack in 28 hours in a 24-hour day, it seems like, Shotgun. Yeah, that that that, lo that four hours is how much, how much sleep I'm getting on the West Coast right now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've been to San Diego for baseball, went to Thousand Oaks for high school football yesterday, basketball, 
fit in a tux fitting for a wedding I'll be in later this year. Um, you know, just doing a little bit of everything on the West Coast and, you know, get to get the live show and get the crew back together in studio. So happy to be back on the West Coast where it's not freezing cold like it is in the Northeast. I'm glad you're back because you did leave something behind on the West Coast. Yeah. Your heart? No. <laughs> The knife in my back. I believe it's yours. Oh. I believe your knife has. It, you have a tape. Your name tag on there. Does this oh, have to bad. be addressed? No. <laughs> no. no. Someone's saying, "Please quit, fix Chris's mic." Oh, is it? He's still too loud again. I was never too loud. Yeah, Chris is never too loud. But I'll turn him down just because he's not a loud person. Um, well, guys, we should start off with USC's uh, big recruiting weekend. I got a little graphic here. Some of the players that were scheduled to visit USC for uh, the junior day. Why don't you kind of get your thoughts on any of the stuff that goes on? And I know uh, we have uh, Makai Lemon. I have a picture of him. Um, he was there. Uh, uh, let's just start with, you know, why this was a huge weekend for USC. They've had a couple of different junior events or pros elite prospect days because it's not just juniors, it's sophomores, it's freshmen. They're bringing in these elite players. Um, but there's a big seven-on-seven -seven tournament, the Bravery Tournament, uh, which is for Brendan Huffman in, in honor of his daughter. I uh, was up in Thousand Oaks. We were out there yesterday to check out. So there was a team from Utah. There's FS FSP, the, the elite team up in Washington, the Seattle area. They were down. Uh, the Texas team. So there were a number of teams teams that came in from out of town and because of that you know if FSP's come in and they've got Jaden Wayne and they've got uh, Jaden Lamar and they've got, Presley, you know, they've got all these prospects that USC is offers from well they're going to go to USC and check it out so their their group went um, on Friday you had some other people go and then also because of the Under Armour event it's a big regional event so there's kids from Arizona that came into town to go to this event well if you're an elite prospect and USC knows you're coming into town they're going to say hey stop by campus come check things out so you had you know Makai Lemon went up there to, to be a kind of a host uh, with some of the others but you had a number of out of state guys and out of area guys come in as well so it becomes a big recruiting weekend for USC and they were trying to make the most of it and had a number of big time players um, in the in the area and outside the area come in and check out USC over the weekend so it was a really important weekend for them threw some offers out there to some players as well uh, but you know it seems everyone was seemed very excited about the weekend that, that we talked to and you know one of the things I thought was interesting Chris you can probably chime in on this from talking to some different players was a lot of them mentioned I sat down with my family with Lincoln Riley for 20 or 30 minutes, and we went over, uh, we looked at, you know, my recruitment and everything, we went through this, you know, and it was, wasn't just a huge event, and hey, everyone come, we're going to talk to you as a group, and then you're going to do a fun event type of thing, it was very, one. there was a lot of one-on-one -on -one opportunities for position coaches and for Lincoln Riley with some, with some prospects as well, so I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, but as some kids mentioned, there was a lot of kids there, because you know, the seven on te seven mm -hmm. teams came. There, there was a lot of prospects there at one time. So if you were able to get that one-on-one -on -one time with Lincoln Riley or a position coach like an Alex Grinch or Dante Williams, that told you kind of how a, how much of a priority you are. If you know Lincoln was taking time away from all these kids, you know he's the face of the program. He's going around all these play people, parents, sports staff. You got to talk to everyone. If he's taking time out to have a ten-minute, fifteen-minute conversation with you and your parents in his office, then that tells you kind of where you mm -hmm. stand. Uh, in terms of their recruiting board and their priorities. 
and also that means I just talked to all the kids that USC really wanted to talk to or really got a good eye towards it. You got a good eye. You got a good eye. You got a good eye for talent. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, one of the interesting guys that I did talk to uh, that the conversation that stood out from the weekend was Hunter Clegg, uh, the defensive end edge rusher from Utah. Talking to him, he was really impressed by USC. He's one of the kids that did sit down. Him and Sean Nua sat down with his parents and discussed his recruitment. I have a story on that later in the week, but he was a guy that was interesting. We saw him, you know, it's a seven-on-seven tournament that we saw him at, so he's playing stand-up linebacker. Moves pretty well. He played a little bit of tight end as well, but, you know, he's a guy that we'll have to see in pads and see what what he looks like coming off that edge. But he was really excited about that opportunity with USC and said that they will definitely be getting an official visit from him. Also, was rocking the USC gloves. I know, I know. Some people don't believe anything with the with, with the uh, the gear that they wear. That that plays nothing into it. But I think it plays a little bit into it. And you know, he's in Southern California. He's got the offer. Why not throw on the USC gloves? So you know, just a little, just a little extra uh, Trojan love there. Uh, rocking the gloves at tight end and linebacker. Yeah, a lot of USC wristbands. Yeah, yeah the people, see that. The people who did go to the you could tell who was who was visiting by that. Oh, that guy's got a wristband. That means he must. He, it's like getting into the VIP club. You know, you got you got exactly. in. You got in. A lot, you got a lot of stamped. People, you got stamped. Yeah, and you could take those off if you wanted to. But I, I think a lot of people wanted to show that hey, I was one of the people that USC yeah. wanted to come. So you know, you go to the you know prospect camp or the the Under Armour thing today. You kind of want to be like you know. Put a little fear in the person that's lining up against you one-on-one. Yeah, USC wanted me to come check him out. Hey, guys. All right. Apparently, we had a little bit of an echo, I think, when uh, hopefully oh, the things are working now. <laughs> Perfect. We, well, we had more cameras, so there's more microphones and stuff. Um, so sorry if there's some audio and stuff issues there. We can you know, try to keep it on just a couple of camera angles. This is fun. Just playing around with everything that's going on here. This is, this is you and I have very different definitions. Yeah, this is the way Ryan's like, ah, trial and error. We'll figure it out as we go. We haven't done a show for, it's been like a month or something. So we're like, yeah, let's try it out. Yeah, Keela would love this. Oh, we got a brand new box. Never tried it before. Let's just throw it into service and see how it works out. Um, yeah, well, it's cool. I like to have like the different kind of options and stuff. So we'll keep playing with everything there. Um, as far as the recruiting weekends go, USC fans sort of been, I guess, conditioned over the last several years. It's just, if there was a big junior day, um, maybe there's someone that's a the high pro- high profile prospect taking a trip to Los Angeles, but not necessarily someone that USC would be in the mix for. It seems they've all changed now with Lincoln Riley. Like the, not just the fact that the class of 2023 is only three people deep, and it's you know all three of those guys are five stars. But it seems like almost anyone that USC is going to go after right now. Should USC fans have a, a level of confidence maybe they haven't had the last couple of years? Yeah, I think there's definitely a, a, a higher level of optimism and hope mm. because you could get like, oh, this five-star player is going to visit and maybe he's like the only big, really big name for a junior day event, but you never really felt like, oh, down the line, USC will be in there. It's just sort of like a feel-out trip, especially with the official visit. You know, there's tons of times we've looked at it like, this is sort of like a free, it feels like a free trip. Like this yeah. person wants a free trip to Southern California, to USC, to, to hang out in, in SoCal for a weekend with his family. That's sort of what those big prospects felt like under the previous staff. But th- but now, you know, there hasn't been that many official visits for Lincoln Riley, obviously. But now moving forward, it definitely feels like any prospect that does get that visit is, it, USC is in play for. That they're at least keeping their mind open for them and, you know, USC can be a factor down the line if they choose to pursue. Yeah, and, and USC for some of the players that they um, 
you, you know, are looking at and some players that want to go to USC and get an official visit, they've said no to some people. Yeah. Um, you know, some high-profile guys because they just didn't feel like they were really in the mix for, for people. And Harold Perkins is probably the name that pops into mind, uh, a five-star 2022 linebacker who said, yeah, I'm going to go check out USC and never materialized because it didn't sound like the USC coaching staff felt like confident that they were going to be able to get a commitment there. So they said, let's not, you know, let's not waste the time and effort to try to recruit someone who we feel like is already going somewhere else. So, you know, I think it's really interesting how they've attacked it with, with some of the different, you know, different groups of people they brought in, you know, the organization of the events, you know, everyone has talked about how different that is, um, you know, and even the organization from their first junior day events when they first arrived on campus and they wanted to get that small group of, you know, local kids in to, you know, yesterday, you know, I talked with Makai Lemon today and he could say that's one of the things you could definitely see that it's much more organized. They, they are kind of figuring out exactly what they want uh, to do as far as bringing those visits in and how they want them run. And they continue to bring in big local names. Now, obviously, Malachi Nelson and Makai Lemon being commits, you think, yeah, they're going to come up and try to help recruit. Mm -hmm. Mateo. Being here, being at USC again this like week. He's been there fifty times since Lincoln came on. It feels like it. Um, he's been there at least five, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so Mateo Uangalele, you know DJ's younger brother, elite five-star edge, can also play tight end, but he's focusing on edge this season. So he's going to be, you know, the the defensive end they're looking to add in this class, and you know those guys can come in and immediately contribute. Uh, that's why it was disappointing that Corey Foreman wasn't able to do more last season. But, you know, if you can match him up, Mateo and Corey Foreman on the field at the same time, you know, you got to get a lot of confidence in, you know, those type of players to affect the quarterback and be able to help out the rest of the defense as well. That's the type of player you're bringing in. You know, a number of other guys, Dalen Austin is a guy from Long Beach Poly that they've been able to bring on campus a, a few times. Um, and, you know, I was talking with another player that goes to Long Beach Poly today, and he talked about how he, he just wasn't being recruited by the previous staff, but he's so excited about this group and the way that they are prioritizing him and the way they're making players feel. I think that's kind of been something. I talked about that one-on-one -on -one time they spent with Lincoln Riley, a number of players had, but the players that are coming away from these visits, the, the staff is making them feel special. You know, everyone is coming and, and you know is, is coming away from it pretty impressed with the messaging, the way they're the attention they're getting, the way everything's been set up, and the way that you know that everything's kind of been organized. So a lot of positive vibes from the recruits um, and from the people around the recruits right now with USC and how they have been recruiting during this off season. Another name I just want to throw in that group, not a five-star caliber talent, but it's still a big local name is Roderick Pleasant. Mm -hmm. feels like he's also been up there a lot. He was not there this past weekend. I believe he was up at Cal for a visit. Mm -hmm. uh, but he is a guy I can I expect to continuously see on campus through the next coming months because he's so right up the street at Sarah, one of the big – and obviously his speed makes him a valuable asset for this defense and they, what they want to do there. So I expect him to be continue to be one of their big targets uh, moving forward. Elite speed. Yeah, I probably I'm, I undershoulders it a little bit. Elite speed. You know, one of the fastest in the nation. Speed. Yeah, that Elite kind of speed. speed. You like that? Um, I think we got shotguns echo fixed, so we can do that stuff. Thanks for the people in the chat for uh, helping out with that. Um, today. Do you want to talk about the Under Armour camp? We could do that a little bit. Um, we got to see a bunch of guys, you know, go through position drills, one-on-ones, and things like that. And I like the way they kind of structured the camp. So we saw 
offensive and defensive linemen kind of come through first. They went through a bunch of testing. They went through position drills, and then they did one-on-ones. They did the same thing with running backs and linebackers. Then they brought through quarterbacks and receivers and DBs. So it's sort of like staggered, give you an opportunity to see different guys. And, you know, if you were a defensive lineman, you were out of there by like 11 o'clock or something, and uh, other guys <laughs> kind of stayed later. Um, any, what are your guys' thoughts uh, from the camp today? Anyone st- stood out to you, Chris, just off the top of your head? Well, you know, who's the, the biggest standout or just kind of the, the camp overall, how it sets up to, to give players an opportunity to showcase themselves? Well, one of the interesting things that I think I noticed, and I guess you guys probably noticed as well, is that the most of our targets that we were looking at were in the skill positions, and there wasn't super deep at O-line and D-line, especially on the West Coast. That's something we've been talking about for a while because there's only like a handful of guys we were looking at at the defensive line and the offensive line. Yeah, and I think, Chris, you had a comment um, uh, early because we get the lineman first. Chris had a comment that said, when's the last time we saw a really huge offensive lineman? You know, Jason Rodriguez, and that's, what, three or four years ago now? The last time at this camp, which is usually the elite, uh, the elite of the elite uh, in the area, in the region, and we just you don't see those huge offensive linemen that you look at and go, yeah, that's a dude. You know, he's going to be, um, you know, he's going to be a guy that might be able to step in immediately and perform. You, you think of someone like Ernest Green, but Ernest Green didn't perform at the camp the last couple of seasons. We we haven't really seen that, and that tells you, you know, when even though there are some players that skip the camp, it tells you that there's not that talent on the West Coast consistently. There were a couple of standouts. I thought Rhino from Bishop Alamany. Great name. Uh, great name, yes. Um, I, I don't have his name in front of me to pronounce his last name, but you know he's a kid that I was told last year, keep an eye on him. He's going to continue to get better and better, and he had a really nice day on the offensive line. We were watching Elijah uh, Jacket from Orange. He, hit, he was another guy. Great frame. Great frame. Moves pretty well. You know, still has to put on some weight and do some different things. On the defensive side, there were more defensive line targets. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is because the, the Arizona kids come in. Arizona's been producing a good number of edge rushers yeah. recently, defensive linemen, um, and rushers, rushing. The number one overall edge rusher in the 2024 class. Mm-hmm. Top, top 25 overall, number one player out of Arizona. That's a big deal. Number one edge rusher in the country, right there in Arizona. He does not have... The USC offer yet, and I had someone very angry in, uh, in in the Twitter comments when I posted a video of him. Like, this is why USC's behind. They need to offer him. He's twenty twenty four. Like two years left. He's gonna get the offer. He only has like five right now. It'll come. He's a sophomore. But he looked the part. Uh, he won some of his reps there. Um, you know, we saw a baby compared to true. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit younger, and you could you could see the younger guys versus the older guys pretty. Pretty evident, um, especially when it got to the wide receivers, and there was literally a five foot two uh, young wide receiver out there as well. Kelsey Howard is another uh, defensive lineman that stood out, showed some power against the bags, which don't necessarily see a ton of when you see athleticism and power combined in these high school camps. So that was another guy that stood out to me uh, when we we're looking at the linemen. That you know Malachi Nelson throwing the ball. That was you know we kind of. I've seen it enough times where you kind of it just kind of goes by, but again, you know, throws the ball really well, comes out of his hand really clean. He didn't have Makai Lemon to throw to in one on ones or anything because Makai Lemon he got injured a couple weeks back at a seven on seven tournament, I believe, playing safety. So he was at the event today, which is still a good good thing for USC because when Malachi and Makai are there, they attract other people around them. 
big name recruits know that both of those guys go to USC or are committed to USC. They're gonna, you know, if they have questions about USC, that's a guy you may go up. Hey, uh, Makai, I know you're committed to USC. You know, what do you like? Blah blah blah. Um, and your Arizona kid or your Utah kid that comes in for this camp, that's great for USC to get that. You know, be able to have that have that player there to help disperse information. So him being there, I think, is just a bonus for USC. He didn't. He did. He. Took a couple of warm-up reps, uh, but then kind of shut it down. He's a competitor and wanted to be out there. I think uh, some of the Los Alamitos people were like, let's just calm down just a little bit. Because like, he goes really hard every time he's yeah. out there, and he goes both ways for Los Al, too. They, they, there's a lot of miles on him in the high school season because he's going both ways for that team. And you talked to him after the the camp was done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm sure he was a little bit sour <laughs> about no, I was sour. I told him I was like, I can't believe you didn't perform. No, just you want to see those guys get healthy. Uh, he wanted to. He definitely wanted to be out there. But you know, he's trying to heal up. He said it's minor, but got to heal up now and during the off season. Um, he was at USC this weekend, so he was helping recruit some of those other guys. He didn't want to give away a ton of names, um, but you know, obviously DeAndre Moore, the other Los Alamitos wide receiver, is, is on that list, and Brandon Ennis the five-star wide receiver from Florida who will be in Southern California next week. And again, 7-on-7 team comes into town for a tournament. South Florida Express. South Florida Express will be visiting USC next week, at least some of the players. So you're looking at some big-time players there as well. So USC, another important weekend next week. And that's that's recruiting. It never really ends. Yeah. Malachi Nelson, you mentioned, uh, I thought he threw the ball really well. When By the time the quarterbacks and they got to throw the wide receivers and the one-on-one drills, even when they were just throwing against air uh, to the wide receivers, it got pretty windy uh, down there. Was it, there wasn't a whole lot of wind in the morning. It uh, didn't really affect the offensive and defensive linemen that much. But once it got to the end, there was a, you know you were throwing with sort of a side wind. And we, we saw some of the quarterbacks kind of struggle to get the ball not just down the field, but some of the throws they would make if it had to go kind of cut through the wind. I felt like the ball still came out of his hands really well. We'll have a bunch of footage from... What he was able to do, he does throw, you know, a tight spiral. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but I thought he handled himself really well through that. And it just looked like if you were watching the quarterbacks, who was cutting through the wind as much? You know, who did the wind not affect that much? It looked like Nelson was the the top guy out there. I believe he won MVP. Yeah, he was one of the quarterback MVPs, which. It's most valuable players, it seems like. You know, they mm-hmm. get multiple for a position. Uh, but he was one of them, definitely. Makai Lemon got the Under the Under Armour All-American Game invite as well. Um, and a number of, you know, local targets for USC, including Roderick Pleasant, uh, Christian Dunbar-Hawkins was either MVP or an invite guy. I can't remember which. Um, so, you know, some of the guys USC is pursuing – Performed well today, but also had the reputation from their film and everything else that they're getting the Under Armour uh, All-American game invites as well. Yeah. The defensive lineman, Howard, you were talking about too. So if you're watching these things, uh, they actually had like a bag of helmets, but they never really used them. I don't know if that was going to be for lineman one-on-ones or whatever. And there was a lot of guys, so we didn't get to see a ton of reps. I think each lineman got maybe three uh, one-on-one reps. But when you get to watch them kind of go through... Uh, the position drills, there was a lot of drills you mentioned, shotgun, with the with the bags. And one thing I like to see is if guys try to, like, cut in line and get, you know, get some extra reps. Usually, they you know, they want to get more, uh, you know, reps out there, which is a, is a good thing to see. I thought Howard did that. But also just the way if you, you can go through the bags where you're, you're skipping over, you know, you're, uh, you know, karaoke over them or you're shuffling in and out, all of that. And there's times when you have to slap them. You're either slapping the top of a bag when you're getting low 
or you're hitting a, a tall bag where you're trying, you know, using some kind of swim move and they want to use your whole body to it. Um, if you can see all that, or it's not just using your arm. And I thought Howard was one of the ones that every time he made contact, it just sounded a little bit different. Like he was really violently attacking the bags. It seemed like he took the reps seriously. So he's someone that I think, and he got really fired up in one-on-ones. He would do a little talking and stuff. So he's someone that just kind of stood out to me uh, of the guys I watched out there. Yeah, he didn't realize that he wasn't wearing that helmet because, you know, he was, after one beat of an offense lineman, he, you know, slapping himself on the head, which the kids do to say, hey, I dunked on him. You know, that's a sign for dunking on someone's head. So, you know, but you got to calm it down when you don't have the helmet on. Yeah. Is, uh, it, uh, is this the time we, sorry to throw in, throw in another name, but ahead, we yeah. talk about uh, Collins. Uh, yeah, I'm, call, I'm calling you in because you. Achimpong? I believe that's uh, Collins Hatchampong, who's a defensive end slash tight end, uh, listed at 6'7", 230. Look that. Look, look 6'7", 6'6", tallest guy out there. Size, frame, athleticism, a little stiff right now. Yeah. Uh, he's a basketball player, and I think you put it correctly, he looked like a basketball player today. Yeah, looks like a basketball player out there doing a football camp. And he's got a really interesting backstory. He's... A three-star prospect in our rankings is the number 27 tight end, but he, like you said, he was just doing defensive line stuff today. Showed up a little late uh, getting to the camp, and I was disappointed because I thought he was going to be there, but then he showed up late. So I was like, oh, I get to, I get to, to look at him, get, get, uh, get a sense of him, because USC did offer him a couple, I believe like two weeks ago or a week ago, and he was on campus uh, this weekend. But he has a really interesting backstory because he hasn't played football since his freshman year, at Fairmont Preparatory Academy in Anaheim, which I had never heard of before. Apparently, it's a really good academic school. I've never heard of it. If you're an alum, probably got, you're probably really smart. <laughs> if you're an alum in, this, in the chat right now, you know, shout out to them. But he's a basketball player, but Fairmont disbanded their football program in 2020 for COVID. So they're, they're no longer playing football. And I believe he said he is not going to play football at Fairmont anymore, obviously, because there is no football program. It's not like he's transferring somewhere. He's not going to Modern Day or somewhere to play his uh, final year, of, uh, final year of high school somewhere. He's not going to play football, so he's going to be he's being recruited with just one year of high school football under his belt and a freshman year of football. Yeah, so he's a guy that's a developmental guy for sure. Um, if he is to choose fo the football route, uh, he is still playing basketball, I believe. But you know, he's got to get more reps. He can go to these camps and stuff, but he's got to put the pads on. He's got to do that. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how his recruitment develops because he's got a number of offers, and obviously he looks the part. You know, he has the frame that you're looking for. He has the athleticism to come off the edge potentially or to be used like Darnell Washington at Georgia. Uh, but you got to get those reps in. You know, he did look very raw. He did look like a basketball player. So that'll be an interesting one. Just the recruitment of which schools really go hard after him and – you know, if he does commit somewhere, what are those coaches asking him? You know, are they asking him to go play for a winter circle or somewhere where they do actually have some padded practices and different things like that to, to try to get, you know, those reps because he's just not getting them with, with Fairmont not having football right now. And he has you know, a bunch of Pac-12 offers, Cal, Colorado, Oregon, UCLA, USC, Utah, and Washington have all offered. So it looks like he'll be bound for the Pac-12 if he, you know, decides to – continue football well we saw him kind of come into the camp like chris mentioned uh he was a little late um but got a lot of attention i mean he is he's tall and i feel like 
if this was a camp that was in Louisiana, he'd have been like the, you know, sixth or seventh guy. You were like, oh, that guy looks really interesting. And he might have been the number one looking guy as far as just like what kind of attention that he was going to get just early on. And obviously has a lot of development to do. Like, you know, Chris mentioned, hadn't been playing football when we saw some of the like cone drills. Uh, I mean, you could tell he's athletic, but there was some like shotgun mentioned some stiffness there. He didn't, you know, wasn't the smoothest through uh, the change of direction kind of stuff. It was okay on the, the one-on-ones. Um, but there's just a, a boatload of potential, I guess you could say there. And he's going to have to put on some weight and kind of fill out that frame. But he does look more like a basketball player now. I mean, I, I don't know. He'd be a nightmare at tight end, as big as he is. <laughs> I would have liked to see him play a little tight end. Yeah, that would have been, been interesting. Uh, but someone like that is, you know, I do, Gerard talks about this all the time. You could look at that guy and go, you know, in three years, like a, you know, a year or two in a NF, I mean, a college weight room. I mean, he might just be an absolute beast, but you know, it's going to take some work to get there. There's, there's a lot of talent, but there's a, you know, a level of development I think that would need to happen. So we didn't see, there wasn't like a Corey Foreman there today. There wasn't like a Kevon Thibodeau where, you know, they're just jumping off the page, but like, he kind of looked like, Ooh, that guy could be it, but certainly wasn't there yet. Yeah, we haven't seen a dominant defensive lineman since uh, Corey Foreman was pretty good, but not dominant. Uh, Kayvon was probably the last dominant one. And Drake Jackson, uh, I think that was the same year. Both those guys at the Nike camp, I believe it was, were dominant. But since then, it hasn't necessarily been that way. Corey Foreman was pretty dominant, but he was using a bull rush, which is not actually allowed, so I'm not going to give him credit for that one. Um, but it, it just hasn't been those guys. So, you know, the last few years at the Under Armour or Nike events uh, down in SoCal. So it, it's, you know, USC is going to have to go outside the area and look for players. And that's the interesting thing about, you know, FSP coming down. Now, they didn't perform in the camp today, but, you know, we saw Jaden Wayne, who's an edge player, and, you know, moves really, he was playing some tight end, moves really well for tight end. The last tight end for FSP that we saw was JT Tuomoloau, who was dominant at tight end, and we know what he can do on the defensive line as well. So, you know, getting a chance to see some of those guys, even if it wasn't in this camp setting, we did see them play this week. So that's the type of guys USC is going to have to go, you know, Who's coming from that South Florida Express team is coming? Are there any edge or defensive linemen that are playing some tight end or doing some things? You'll be looking for those guys as well. And again, camp settings aren't the best for linemen because you know those guys are put, need to put the pads on to, to be able to show what they can do because there's so much grabbing and holding and shirt ripping. Um, did you just hear? There was a lot of shirts that were just kind of <laughs> It's not off. a camp if there's no shirt ripping. Yeah. Yeah, I feel I kind of feel bad for the defensive linemen. Like everybody else gets to say, hey, I got an Under Armour shirt, or you know, I got this, you know, just give them to a little them. swag. I feel like they should get an extra one. Like here, you're gonna get this one ripped, but here's another one for for later. Yeah, props to them. They the everyone had big numbers on both sides of the jerseys. You know, I was at the uh, in Hawaii at the Polynesian Bowl, and like they didn't have any numbers on anything that they were wearing down here. It was like one side of the helmet had a number on it. So uh, it's good, clear numbers. We could see where everyone was at school. Uh, any other recruiting stuff before we move on, guys? Uh, the uh, Olas um, Lyman, I can't think of his, his first name, um, but he was also at USC. We haven't got a chance to oh, talk to him. Olas Alienen? Yeah. Or something like that. The Swede. No, Finland. Wait. Finnish. Finnish. Sc- Scandinavian. We'll put it that way. Okay. Um, but yes, he also visited USC, another big Lyman um, that 
in the building. So that continues to be, he's a guy from outside the area, but, you know, bringing those big men out, uh, bring men in is a positive for USC because, as we said, there is a dearth of that that's quality talent at the those trench positions in the, in Southern California. All and right. we have a we have a story on him up on the Peristyle. Okay. So I didn't that. Brian, right. Brian Doan, he don't don't shotgun hasn't looked on the page and Yeah, I have not been able to do anything. I was I woke up at four AM yesterday, drove from San Diego to Thousand Oaks, football, basketball, road stories, fell asleep writing, woke up, football in his studio. All right. Well, let's uh, let's move on. Um, why don't we talk a little hoops first? We can talk some USC basketball. Shotgun, you're the expert here. You were over in Poly Pavilion uh, last night. Uh, USC. When I, I came, out, I went to the Laker game. Came out of the Laker game, and <laughs> USC had cut it to one, and it was a one point game. And then all of a sudden, I think UCLA went on like a 12-2 run or something like that, and uh, the Chargers crawled back. Uh, the big stat, we talked about this before, is just the, the turnovers. USC had 14 or 15 turnovers, like 21 points for UCLA off turnovers. And the Bruins only had one, only one turnover. Both teams shot the ball pretty well. Uh, but going into the Pac-12 tournament, the number three seed right now, we'll get to see them uh, Thursday night in the late game. What's your assessment of this team, Shotgun, heading into uh, the Pac-12 tournament? Yeah, they, they lost they lost consecutive games for the first time this season. You know, first time they played back-to-back top 25 opponents, so that plays into it. Uh, Arizona, they were dominated earlier in the week, um, but they bounced back from that, had two really good practices from, from what I was told from um, from sources around the coaching staff and in the program that, you know, that's a positive sign for them. They have to clean up the turnovers, though, though and they, need, they still have not found that person that can just calm everything down. You know, they had a four-minute stretch that really changed the game for them in the second half where or actually it was a, you know, a two-minute stretch. They were down by three, and within four minutes, they had gone down by 12 because UCLA goes on a 9-0 run. USC got one shot off in two and a half minutes because, you know, they turned the ball over four times. So they need someone that can calm everything down and say, okay, we're going to run this and whatever, you know, whatever their, their best play is, we're going to get into this set, get it to this person, he'll at least get us a good shot. And that's something that, you know, they missed at times last night. The turnovers really hurt them, but it was more so on the other side. You just got to give credit to UCLA for only having one turnover the entire game. That's just a, you know, a ridiculous feat there. That's very rare that that happens. And that's why they were able to have a 21 to three advantage on points off of turnovers. So USC five their way back in. They go on a 12-1 run late to get within two points with a minute, less than a minute and a half. And it got not silent, but like there was this this worried whisper going through Poly Pavilion. Like, is it about to happen again? Are, are, is it going to happen? Is it going to be a buzzer beater once once more? But it wasn't in the cards for USC. They didn't have, you know, no one can make that magic shot like Tajidi did or like Jonah Matthews did. They were a bucket away from for me to have that opportunity. So they got to bounce back from this. They need to have two really good practices before they go to Vegas to give them any chance. You know, they'll they'll open with Washington or Utah in the first game of the Pac-12 tournament that, for their first game. Um, and then if they win that, they'll likely face UCLA. If they were to beat UCLA, they would likely face Arizona. So just took two losses to Arizona and, and UCLA. But 
Got to feel confident if you're USC in the way they were making shots last night. May you know they shot 49%, and UCLA had a really good defense. You know they really challenged them. So if if USC shoots the way they did last night, making tough shots, if they just take care of the ball a little bit better, and they got to shore up their defense a little bit. You know in the last two games, the the opposition has gotten a number of open looks. They've got to figure out their rotations a little bit better, communicate a little bit more on defense. They are still capable of making a run both in the Pac-12 tournament and making a run in the NCAA tournament. They have the pieces, but they need to take that step forward. They did it last year, starting you know starting with the Pac-12 tournament, where Isaiah Mobley really took his game to another level, making shots, making threes, um, and really became that guy. Is there someone who's going to do that in the postseason this year for USC? That's going to be the big question. If someone does step their game forward, they're you know they can make a you know they have the pieces to make a deep run once again, but it's going to take some guys you know stepping a little bit up uh, to to make that happen. All right. Well, you can, we'll check out a bunch of basketball coverage over from Las Vegas with Shotgun and myself. Um, Chris, let's get into. I just some... had to watch you. What was that? I just had to. I couldn't fake doing anything on this computer anymore. <laughs> I just had to like just buckle in and listen to the world's greatest USCB writer oh, for the basketball. We had some people in the chat that weren't really happy that was some basketball talk on the show, but that's okay. Hey, you, you know USC went to the lead eight last year. They could make another run. Uh, we'll see how they end up doing. And it's funny, uh, the, Chris just kind of watching. Uh, in his little perch there. Um, so spring football, maybe we could talk about some of the bigger position battles. You want to pick one, Chris? What's uh, one of the position battles you're looking forward to seeing this spring if we get to see? We don't know at this point um, if we're going to be able to watch spring football. Should be starting up here in a couple of weeks, uh, but we don't know. Uh, we have not been told yet if the media is going to be allowed uh, in. But Chris, what would be, if we do get to watch, what's one of the position battles you're looking forward to seeing? Well, for me, there's lots of things to look forward to. But if you want me to pick a straight-up position battle, I would have to say those cornerback positions because they're both so wide open. Chris Steele, Isaac Taylor-Stewart, they're off trying to get drafted in uh, this spring's uh, 2022 NFL draft. So both those spots are up for grabs. There's a lot of interesting storylines there. Obviously, you have two transfers coming in with Latrell McCutcheon from Oklahoma, Makai Blackman from Colorado, the most experienced guy. But then you have, you know, a big five-star name like Damani Jackson, who still healing after that injury uh, that he s- sustained in the his uh, going into his uh, senior season, so did not get to play. You have Fabian Ross coming in later. But then you have some other in- intriguing names like a Joshua Jackson, who I personally picked and projected to be one of the starters with Blackman uh, going into the season. That was just me, Shotgun. Wanted me to go a little more McCutcheon on that one. I went with McCutcheon. Uh, but there's a lot of options. You know, Sierra Wright, a former top 100 prospect. God, I at least mentioned him because of, of, you know, his talent and his ranking coming out of last year when he was a freshman. Prophet Brown got a start at the Cal game. He he flashed some ability. I believe, Shotgun, you were the one who talked to him after the game. I did. So and Unfortunately, everything blew up and then never got a chance to put up that story. But <laughs> <laughs> Yes, that, that is true. I forgot about that. Sorry to bring that up. But... Yeah, he's got to start under his belt. So there's a lot of storylines to go with, a lot of young talent, not a lot of experience outside of Blackman. So it's going to be really interesting to see how that that kind of critical position plays out. 
And you mentioned the two starters they lose, but they also, Jaden Williams enters the transfer role. Yep. He was their number three cornerback last year. Uh, Josh Jackson got some playing time, but also got injured. So, you know, he's a guy that really flashed last spring. He's a breakout. And, you, you know, we'll see if he takes that next step. Obviously, he transitioned over to cornerback, and we saw him take a big jump that first spring. Now, this spring, does he take another jump? And he could potentially become a starter there. McCutcheon uh, is a guy that has some experience, played as a freshman at, at Oklahoma and got a good number of reps for a freshman this past year, so that's a positive. But it, I think it comes down to Makai Blackman. They need him to be uh, a, you know, they need him to be a starter and to be able to lead that group. And that's part of the reason they brought him in from Colorado is yeah. They have all these young pieces, talented pieces. You talk about Sierra Wright. You talk about Damani Jackson. Some talented pieces there. However, no experience. So Makai Blackman brings all the experience. They need him to be a leader in the locker room. And he's got some positional versatility being able to play inside at nickelback or playing outside. He played nickel some for, for Colorado. So you can move him around if you need to. Or if you go into a dime defense, you can move him inside and play one of the younger guys on the outside. So uh, I think he's the the key to the cornerback room. They need him to be good um, and the, let the other position kind of battle out and see who can win that. But they need him to establish himself as a starter, I think. Yeah, but you're bringing in a veteran presence, a veteran presence from uh, a Pac-12 school. Uh, we saw it with Katie Nixon last year. You want them to come in and be a big contributor. Now, he wasn't. Um, but, you know, when you're talking about uh, bringing in Dye from Oregon or you're bringing in Blackman from Colorado, I think you... You want those guys to be, uh, you know, not just leaders, but also someone that can be, you know, be on top of the, the two deep there and, and uh, get a lot of playing time. And I think he's going to have some opportunities there, but there is, it's a young room. It's a deep room. Just there's not a lot of, uh, you know, proven games under their belts as, you know, playing as USC Trojans. So uh, that'll be interesting to see. But I agree with you, Shock. And I think Blackman's got to play a big part uh, for the cornerbacks. On the other side of the ball at the wide receiver position, I think that one's. I think that'll be a very interesting spring where everyone's going to be trying to get as many reps as possible because there's a lot of people that need to prove themselves. You know, who's going to take over those roles with Drake London being gone? You know, that's a, a big, you know, he was the focal point in the offense, and I don't think anyone stepped in and said, I'm that guy after him when he went down. You know, some people had some decent games and stuff, and Lake McCree had a really nice game. You know, Gary Bryant had some. Yeah, some Gary nice Bryant. Plays. But Gary Bryant, I think, with a new coaching staff coming in, especially even though he was recruited by them, he's got to prove himself to them. And so I think that Mario Williams coming in, he's got to prove himself to all his teammates. And you know, so I think it's going to be a really intriguing, you know, spring with that group as everyone tries to prove themselves. You know, can one of the veterans, can someone like John Jackson the third, you know, can he make a mark and you know push himself towards up the depth chart, which he wasn't able to do with the previous coaching staff. You know, those I think the the wide receivers will be a really intriguing group this spring as well. And don't forget about Jake Smith. Jake Smith coming back. A big X factor. We don't really know what that's going to look like. He did tell me, um, you know, towards late in the season that his plan was to be back by spring. That was the goal and the intent. So we're waiting to see if he is cleared medically, if he's out there, you know, to see if he has the wheels. You know, just because you come back from an injury, are your assets all have your assets all returned? Um, and obviously, he was a speed guy for Texas. So can he get that back? Uh, so that'll be another interesting one too. Yeah. Yeah, Terrell Bynum, I think, you know, the, the veteran presence, another veteran presence for the Pac-12 uh, coming over from Washington. Uh, there, You know, if you look at the the chart, I mean, there's just a lot of young guys in that receiver room and not as much uh, veterans. You mentioned like a John Jackson, but just hasn't got that kind of run. And 
you know, my guy, Kyle Ford, like, you know, former five star, is he going to be able to, uh, it's another position group where there's a lot of maybe uh, unproven talent and, you know, will veteran leadership that transferred in be able to help? And how does that all mesh together? Because it's, it is difficult sometimes when you bring in transfers, especially senior guys, guys that have been around the block a lot. There's, they have been around the block at USC, but you also have a new coaching staff. So everyone's sort of on the same, uh, you know, same footing, I guess you could say. So even though you're transferred in, you haven't, you know, versus someone that's been in the program for three years, it's all new to everybody, you know, except for a guy like a Caleb Williams, Mario Williams, like those guys coming in, they know what to expect uh, from Lincoln Riley system. So I I'm curious to see how that all works together, but those are definitely two position groups uh, I want to see. And, you know, even at the safety spot, Chris, with, we haven't heard what's up with Isaiah Polamal, but um, Dante Williams sort of, you know, hit, he said that the whole secondary wasn't going to be, you know, all those stars weren't going to return. We haven't heard anything from Isaiah Polamal as far as entering the transfer portal. But uh, if he's gone, I mean, certainly that's a, a veteran leadership, you know, presence that's not going to be there with the safeties as well. Yeah, I think the safeties, it, they could use a transfer in order, guys, similar to how the corners and the wide receivers, they do have, have had someone come in, a grad transfer, to be an older guy. The safeties could use that. You know, there's a lot of young guys, Again, talented young guys, but you know who's ready to step up and you know take their take their role from being a part-time guy to being the guy. Is that going to be you know Kalen Bullock? Is that going to be Xavier Alford? We saw flashes from both of them last year, uh, but are they ready to become you know a dude? You know, are you ready to be on an NFL you know on the prospect list? Are you ready to you know have scouts salivating over you? You've shown some flashes, but you got to show consistency, and you can. You know, as a freshman, you can let me get out there, get my feet wet. Now it's time you got to step up for Kalen Bullock and and Zavion Alford as well, who's going to be a third year guy. Those yeah. are my two picks to be the starters. Those feel like the established guys going in. You know, assuming they don't bring a transfer guy, you know, maybe in the summer that could still be an option. But those two feel like the guys to beat out for the strong safety in those free safety spots. Chase Williams is gone. Greg Johnson is gone. Isaiah Polamalu is gone. So you're down. You know, three vets right there. So, got a lot of depth building to do. But as I mentioned with Ryan on the podcast, there is a big guy coming in in the summer in one Zion Branch. Yeah, I got to see him in Las Vegas a couple weeks ago and uh, just interview him. And I also saw him in Hawaii and just look. You know, he looked like he was a head taller than most of the guys out there in the secondary. Just looks the part. I think he's someone that when he gets on campus this fall, USC fans will, will really be excited about over. Uh, you know, in the summer, kind of see what he can do. And uh, Kalen Bullock, um, love to see if he's going to put some weight on, what he's going to be able to do. I, you know, I put this in the war room uh, last week or two weeks ago and happened to run into Talano Hofunga at a workout here in Manhattan Beach doing the sand dunes. And, you know, I was just asking about the team and he still follows. And that's the, that's the one guy he mentioned by name. He mentioned Sticks. Uh, he, he really likes his game. So uh, I think, Chris, it's a good pick to have someone like him you know, be the starter, you know, potentially be the starter. Uh, he puts a little weight on. Um, he just, it didn't seem like it was limiting him, you know, being as light as he was. But, you know, he puts a little weight on. He could probably do even more out there. But he's he's definitely someone that has been impressive to me. Yeah, he did miss a couple tackles late in the season. You wonder, hey, did he wear down a little bit because he had been a really sure tackler early in the season? And that may be, you know, where some extra weight. And 
you're expecting him to take a big jump in, you know, in in his snap count. So you know, that's when you need the weight. You know, you need to build that weight early so you can lose a little bit as the season progresses, uh, so that he doesn't, you know, you don't suffer one of those injuries when you take on a big running back or something uh, later in the season. So that's it, that's a an important factor for him. We heard a lot of good things about the strength and conditioning and you know where the players are at right now. We'll see if we get an opportunity to see them, um, but you know. When we get a chance to check them out in person, we'll see if we can see any uh, discernible differences there. You, the the safeties, Kalen Bullock. You mentioned that Talanoa, you know, talked about he's a guy he likes watching. Sua has said the same thing about him. So it's interesting that you have multiple former safeties going. Watch out for that guy. Watch yeah. out for that guy. Tells you a lot about the capabilities he has and a couple of plays he made last year are you know safety teach tape. You know the the play he made against Washington State was absolutely perfect. The way he you know intercepted that pass, getting to the sideline, pushing the guy out, doing all the things you're taught to do. Now again, guys, to come down to consistency. And now when you're on the field for 70, 80 plays, more than 30 or 35, can you do? Can you pr- produce consistently there as well? Yeah, we'll see on that one. Um, Mark in the chat was asking, is an Isaiah Pelham out uh, training for the draft? Uh, he wasn't listed, right? Jockan, you have to. Uh, he wasn't formally listed for the NFL for underclassmen. He obviously has a year to come back, though he, I assume he has graduated, so that may be why he is not listed on that list. Um, we were talking with someone yesterday that was some information from Arizona, and they were said he was training for the draft and everything. I, I do not expect him back. I've talked with yeah. people at USC that said, they were basically like, no, he's not here, he's not doing anything. So, no, he's not coming back. He, you know, Best of luck to him. Hopefully, he can make a make a roster. Best of luck to all the guys that are in the, at the scouting combine this week. Again, I didn't see any of the numbers or anything because of how hectic it, it's been. But um, I don't know, Chris. Did you see anyone produce any positive numbers? Any uh, eye catching things? I, I know the the biggest thing I heard the first day was Drake London's not six five. He's not. He's six foot one. No, he's, he's six he's foot six. three and seven eight. He might as well be six foot. What I've been lying to this whole time. <laughs> So everybody's like, oh, is he the big receiver? Is he going to drop? I mean, of course teams would want to see uh, you know, him be 6'5 rather than 6'3 and 7'8, but I don't think it's that big of a factor because of the way he goes up and gets the ball and he plays like he's 6'7 rather than 6'3 and 7'8. We also had some people asking about uh, the quarterback room, so we can talk, touch on that a little bit, obviously. Who's going to be quarterback one? Caleb Williams. Why does everybody keep asking this like it's a competition? It's crazy. There's wow. no competition. Wow, you just said it. There's no competition. Yeah. You don't bring in your quarterback. He doesn't transfer from the school that he was at to be in a system where he already has experience and go, you're not the number one player on the recruiting, on the transfer market, and say, yeah, coach, I'm ready to come in and battle for a position. He's It's his position. Now, if he's awful... Yeah, maybe they make a change, but it's not like there's going to be a true competition there. No matter what the narratives anyone wants to spin, it's not a competition. Uh, Miller Moss will be the backup behind him. You know, if Miller Moss takes an exponential jump in his game and is now in front of Caleb Williams, then you have that conversation. But going into spring camp, there's not a competition. Caleb Williams has already proven himself on the field. Miller Moss had a couple of chances late in the season in that Cal game. But, you know, he has not done anything close to what Caleb Williams has already done. And obviously having the experience in the offense is where the deciding factor is, you know, before looking at either player's talent level initially. You know, he has experience. He's already played in the offense. 
Lincoln Riley knows him already, so he already has those steps in front of him. There's no actual competition. Yeah, and then, so right now, just so people realize, there are only two healthy scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. Caleb Williams, who transferred in, and you know, will be, you know, he's taking part in the offseason workouts and will be part of spring football. And Miller Moss, who uh, Shotgun mentioned, and he got a little run at the end of the season. He got one snap, I think, earlier in the season, and then uh, in the Cal game, had a touchdown pass to Katie Nixon, his only touchdown catch of his USC career. Um, but, you know, Mohassan, the transfer from Vanderbilt, coming back, worked really hard to get back from that knee surgery he had last year. If you remember the spring game, he tore his knee, his ACL, and uh, worked you know really hard to get back. Unfortunately, ruptured his Achilles. He's still optimistic that he could come back uh, for the season. And he talked about it on his social media, and we put some stuff in the war room about, uh, you know, talking to sources close to him. Uh, we'll see if he's able to bounce back from that. It's the rupture is not as bad as a as a full tear of the Achilles. Obviously, being younger, you can bounce back uh, from those a little bit easier. So, but right now, there's only two scholarship quarterbacks. Will they look for the portal to to bring in another uh, a guy that can help out? Uh, we'll have to wait and see about that. There are some you know preferred walk ons, actually some you know decent guys that have played before. I don't know, Chris or Shotgun, if you want to mention that. But right now, only two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster. It looks like you know Caleb Williams being QB1, and uh, Miller Mouse backing him up. Yeah, the just a tough, tough break for Mo, who's, you know, a really great leader, does a lot of great stuff off the field um, in that regard. So, you know, we saw him work, saw him put in the work during, you know, the season where we see him out there with rehabbing and stuff. So that is a tough blow, but it's just fascinating. You know, he did say, you know, I'm aiming to come back for fall camp. And like you said, the, the rupture isn't as bad as like a straight, tear which i believe brendan peely suffered mm -hmm. uh he had the big uh he had the tear which cost him about a the whole year uh, which is about a, a year uh, recovery time uh but i believe he's hopeful because of cameron acres cam acres did and he was able to come back um so quickly miraculously uh, after his uh ruptured achilles but yeah i mean that's just a that's a big goal to have and you know for for a normal person you could probably maybe relatively normal but you know as a football player you know you have to you're doing a bunch of more stuff you're you're running you're planning off that you're running you're cutting you're doing all that kind of stuff so i don't know how that factors in and you know maybe cam makers is just a freak of nature and i believe someone mentioned that it, it might be a new procedure that you know help bring that along i don't have any further information on that but i guess that is the hope he has uh, so we'll see but you know you don't you never want to kind of bank on someone coming back from a ruptured Achilles in five months to be to play, so I think they're going to have to look in the portal for maybe a non-power five guy or a lower-level power five guy who you know just wants to be kind of a bridge guy, maybe get a little extra education at USC, just someone who can fill in in the back end for you know a Miller Moss and Caleb Williams down on the depth chart because uh, you never really want to go too deep into those preferred walk-ons. They did bring in two to kind of bolster out that depth fill out the scout team a little bit more. Uh, but I would say you'd want to go in and get, you know, a guy who has played at another school, maybe a guy who started a couple years and just wants to be a, a grad transfer somewhere. Uh, so it's, it's a tough spot. Yeah, I think that's going to be very tough to find uh, anyone of, of that of high quality that you can bring in to say, hey, we want you to come in and be our third string guy. Um, there's a lot of QBs in the portal, that's all I'm saying. There's a lot true. of options. That is true. Valid point. Uh, you know, there are so many names in the portal uh, currently that 
there are people that will be become desperate toward as it gets closer and closer and go, oh, wait, am I not going to actually, is no one going to offer me a scholarship or anything and may take something? Or maybe USC holds out and there's people that no one's offering scholarships to. They say, hey, you can come be a preferred walk-on here as well that have you know more experience than you would normally have. So th- there may be some options out there. But if your third-string quarterback is in, you're probably not doing very well unless yeah. you're Ohio State in the championship game. Um, so you know you don't want to be on your third-string quarterback. You want your number one to stay healthy and not ever have to get to your number two. But if you do, you don't want to get beyond your number two. Um, and USC has two great options, number one and number two, in Caleb Williams and Miller Moss. So um, you, you, you want to keep those guys healthy. And if your offensive line blocks, I think USC's offensive line could be really good this year. You know, they bring back pretty much everybody. You're adding Bobby Haskins, still looking in the transfer portal to potentially add another piece there as well. Especially on the interior. Still looking in the recruiting class to potentially add another piece there. Josh Connolly, we've had several questions about him. Yes, USC is still recruiting him. His official visit is coming up in a couple weeks, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so USC will we'll try get the final one. We'll try to make a big impression in his final uh, official visit before he makes a decision. And then if USC can close the deal there, you know, uh, some of the questions about Josh Connolly were, you know, does he, if he commits, uh, Jasper asks, is there any chance he gets in the rotation immediately? Absolutely. I mean, I think he's a guy that you try to get in there for a series or two early in the season. And, you know, we saw that with Austin Jackson. We saw that with Chuma Adoga. You saw that with the guys that are going to be your tackle of the future. You want to get them in there, get their feet wet. If they struggle a little bit, that's okay. Um, and then, you know, they'll build and build and build. And maybe even by the end of the season, they become, you know, a guy that's in there every other series or a guy that takes over a spot. Or, uh, you know, when you do have an injury on the offensive line because it happens every year, then, you know, maybe he's the guy that steps in. So Josh Connolly definitely has the talent to do that. The, you know, just the ability from the clips of him, his workouts and stuff, going from his knees to jumping up, showing the athleticism, to then uh, from his knees to his feet, and then to be able to go into his uh, shuffle steps, you know, it just shows you the athleticism that he does have, the potential to be, you know, one of those true, you know, an NFL left tackle eventually. Yeah, if he, if he was able to participate in the spring, I think there would even be a better chance. Uh, yeah. Obviously, he's not going to commit till potentially sometime this month. Uh, and if he ends up at USC, he'll have the summer and, and fall camp. But, you know, we've seen them work those five-star guys in a little bit early. Uh, I don't know about starting. I know Jasper also wanted to know, do you think uh, Andrew Voorhees or uh, Bobby Haskins would be the starting left tackle? I know. What do you think about that, guys? Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Chris, can, I, can, I, can I throw out oh. the Voorhees initiative? 
The Voorhees <laughs> sounds like just, just, it is. Just hear me out. Okay. Andrew Voorhees ended the season as USC starting left tackle. That is correct. That's a fact. Fact. He played well. Pretty well. That's a fact. Fact. So I'm thinking. All right. Keep your most experienced guy, Andrew Voorhees. Keep him there. Take your other most experienced tackle, Bobby Haskins. Put him on the right. Okay. So now your two bookends are your most experienced tackle guys. They're right there. You got them. You solidify that. Brett Nealon is Brett Nealon. He's going to be your center. You still following me? Yep. Ryan, you still following me? Right. Gotcha. Yeah, he's following me. No, no. So you got those three. <laughs> the, the, the issue is the interior. You got to find those guard spots. You got a Justin Dietrich. Who filled in when Voorhees kicked out? Is that not a fact? Mm-hmm. Fact. Filled in at that left guard. Did pretty well. Mm-hmm. Did pretty well. He has been a guy that <laughs> he's been a guy that USC fans have been clamoring for to get in the lineup somewhere, and that's where he did. He was their sixth man, essentially, was the backup uh, center, and then was the backup guard at any position that he needed. Clay McGuire wait, raved about him, and he we kind of saw that when he came in. Tough as nails. Got him in at the left guard. I think he can be your starter this year at one of those guard positions. Still back up the center. And then that other one, you make it Cortland Ford. Or Jonah Monheim. I think Corlin Ford has the higher upside at tackle, and I think Monheim has the higher upside as an interior guy, not as a tackle. Ford obviously does have a little bit of uh, offensive guard experience, so I think he could work there. So that would be my initiative. It's Voorhees, Justin Dietrich, Nealon, Corlin Ford, or Jonah Monheim at one of those guard spots, or Bobby Haskins. And you can put Dietrich at either spot. You can put the young. Guy Ford or Monheim next to to Voorhees to help him out there, but you probably don't want them on your left side. So you would solidify with Justin Dietrich to really solidify that left side. side. Yeah, yeah, and then put the young guy on the right side with Haskins, who is experienced and can you know help that help that along. That's just something I'm throwing out, but that's not even the point of the question. Who's going to start a left tackle? It's going to be Bobby Haskins, so move on. <laughs> Don't even answer anything I just said. So wait a second. So you said the answer is Bobby Haskins, but you gave this whole five I just thing. wanted – no one likes this idea. No one likes like this idea. idea. No, he doesn't. Ro- uh, not Robert. Uh, Shotgun Robert. It's not his real name, by the way. I just <laughs> – just Robert came out of nowhere. He hated it. Did you he mean hated Robert it. Haskins? Yeah, Robert Haskins. There it is. Could his be. father. No, Bobby Haskins. <laughs> yeah, I know. I got it. I got just, it. Yeah, I was just trying to... Fact. Fact. We should just try to go through some of these questions quickly. Uh, I know we have... Wait, 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 No, no. I want him to respond to this. Oh, you want to check that? I want it on record. Yeah, I think Andrew Voorhees ends up as your left guard. All right, there it is. That's it. But do you like the initiative? He doesn't like the initiative. I think it, for Voor- if I'm Voorhees, I probably want to play guard. Because I think that's where my NFL position is, and I think that I want to show more tape there. Now, showing the versatility to play both, obviously see what that did for Elijah Vera Tucker and his draft status, um, but where did he in, in, end up eventually back at guard? So, you, you know, for Voorhees, who is not as athletic as Elijah Vera Tucker, I think it's better for his future if he's you know solidifies himself as guard and just a, you know, a nasty mauler. You know, he did well at, at tackle. There were some elements where teams were able to get an advantage on him with some speed off the wide edge. 
So you know, maybe that's something he could work on this offseason. That could be something that if he knows he's going to be the left tackle, then he puts a lot of effort into that. But I think he's better suited as a guard. Same with Monheim. I think both of them can play some tackle for you, but I think you would rather have them as your interior guys and let them be nasty on the inside. Nasty. Be nasty. Uh, but then that brings up the question of where does Justin Dietrich go? Because you can't play Dietrich, Monheim, and Voorhees together at three interior positions with Brett Nealon locked in at center. So, you know, it depends on, you know, the adage is we're going to find our best five guys and then figure it out. That's what coaching staff will tell you all the time, whether they, they mean that or not. So, you know, do they see, who do they see as that fifth guy? Do they see it as Ford and he needs to play tackle? Do they see it as Monheim and he needs to play guard? Do they see it as some other element um, where Didich plays one position inside guy inside position and Voorhees plays the other inside position. That's that's what it comes down to. And if they get another guy, if they get another transfer, how does that change everything? Are Perfect. you saying are you saying there are teams that don't play their best five? Yeah. It's like the four best guys and the guys mad. Yeah. <laughs> the most mad guy we can just throw in there. <laughs> Not the most mad guy, but you play them based on positional needs. The four best and the third worst. That's our lineup. <laughs> the four best and the guy that's actually that is more suited for this position or the other. All right. Okay. Uh, Chris Renee wants if to you know. If you have your five best offensive linemen are all interior players, you're Look, not going to play those five I'm guys. four in the meh. All right, we're moving <laughs> on. Four in the meh. We're already after the hour. Uh, Renee... Status of the Twitter follower tattoo, Chris. Lower back, neck, inside, lower lip. The location or the overall? <laughs> I, whatever. The status. They want to know the status. So if you guys don't know, Chris put on Twitter. I, I don't know why he did this, but if he got to 10,000 followers, he's getting a 10K tattoo. Before spring football. It was really... Without even having a date for when spring football was. got it within, like, minutes. I thought so it was going to be June. <laughs> yeah. So... He's got to get a tattoo. Now he's back. First of all, I don't have to get the fo- the the tattoo does not have to be on me by spring football. It was the follower count yeah. by spring football, but I plan to have it by the starting kickoff. I might even get it while the, the kickoff is happening. Uh, In the press box. As far as yes, I'll be, be on the field. As far as status goes, I'm going to check out a tattoo shop this week. Okay. I'm doing it right. I'm not just going into a back alley bar and I'm saying, hey, Bubba, ink me up. I'm not doing that. I'm taking my time with this. It's got to look good. It's going on my body forever and it's not going to be on my neck. It's not going to be a tramp stamp. It's going to be on the upper body somewhere. All right. Um, somewhere. That's good. We're already we have 30,000 questions to go through. I know. We got, like, we got a whole bunch. Let's just skip through. rapid fire. Um, yeah, Okay. We're going to rapid fire some of these? Sure. Neil wants to know, uh, when do the Helium Boys get a podcast? When's that coming out? Maybe explain what the Helium Boys are, because I don't even know. And Chris, try to like... Are you crying over there? Out of the Chris, are you, are you crying? Chris, like sit up straight. You're leading out of the shot. Yeah. <laughs> My contracts are very <laughs> dry. My eyes are okay. bumming it right now. <laughs> what are the Helium Boys, and if it, is it coming back? Helium Boys was a bit created during the Zoom era of pandemic times when we would do a podcast the family feud with me myself and uh keely your she who shall not be named. Who, I, yeah. I was <laughs> gonna do a bit like of- i was gonna do a bit and i couldn't think of it and she would always be late for we'd be like oh we're gonna meet at two she wouldn't show up till 2 30 so we would just be on uh camera like a couple of yep. dumb donkeys just waiting there and we were just like 
talk about random things and we made a joke that this is like a our podcast the boys podcast and i don't really know what the helium part came in just like came up it was probably something dumb i said and then that's that's how the running bit became so we are the question is when do we get one that's what they really want to know okay well he asked me to explain it (laughs) yeah podcasts are coming so we you know chris and i've been doing our regular podcast uh harvey hyde had some stuff going we'll have him back uh, we got some new ones coming. Chris is I got a new one coming next week. Chris we don't have an official one. He's got his own podcast. I'll be on it. He'll be on my podcast. So that's when you'll see the Helium right. Boys. We do not have our own branded one. It's a spontaneous thing. There right. we go. But yeah, Shotgun's heard on the Sideline Podcast. He's had some great guests uh, on there. And then uh, Chris and Gerard are going to be doing one. Whenever Gerard comes on, it's very popular. So hope you guys uh, enjoy that. Um, let's see. Dan D wants to know when spring ball starts. We don't know at this point, but it should be in a couple of weeks. We're expecting. We'll be at the end of March at some point. Yeah, sometime at the end of March. Uh, and Roman, uh, 388, when can we expect the next 2023 signing? Well, not till the signing period because we can't <laughs> sign yet. So no one signed in 2023. But there, it was big junior day weekend. Do you guys uh, expect any commitments coming out of the weekend? I know, you know, a guy like Malachi Nelson is really hitting the recruiting trail hard. I talked to Zach Zachariah Branch, the five-star uh, receiver from Bishop Gorman. He wants to recruit as hard as anybody for the class. So you have two five-stars you know, that want to recruit hard. You expect there's going to be some commitments coming soon. Do you guys know signees? But any commitments, do you think, uh, anytime soon? I would say there's probably going to be a couple within the next couple of months, especially when they get guys on campus for spring and all that, get them in front of the coaches, yeah. get them in front of the team. We usually see that regardless of who's running a program, you get guys on campus. They get caught up in the excitement of spring football and all that and be on campus. So I would expect a couple, you know, I guess one to look out for is the five-star receiver, Brandon Innes. He's picked up a lot of USC crystal balls. They started out as being low confidence, but there's a couple of big ones that have been put in. I believe Greg Biggins put in a high confidence one for him. So, that could be something where maybe he he's going to pop when he comes uh, this weekend. He's already committed to Lincoln before and Dennis Simmons. You know, if he was already comfortable with them to commit at Oklahoma. I'm sure he would be comfortable to commit them at USC. Just needs to get on campus, see the vibe, and then, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. But I'm not saying that's going to happen. I'm just saying I would not be surprised, you know, if a commitment came out of that that visit on the, on the 11th. And also, let's not forget the 2022 class. With the, right. the the big fish still out there of Josh Connerly Jr., whose commitment could come in the next month after uh, he you know in a couple of weeks after he makes his final official visits. Yeah, we had a bunch of questions on that. Um, Daniel wanted to know what are USC's chances with him, and uh, there was another question about if he does commit, will he be the starter? We kind of mentioned that already. We probably get in the rotation. Probably not going to be a starter. Though. Yeah, probably wouldn't be the when starter you, when you have a. Spring. Two, I think both Haskins and Voorhees will be six-year seniors. Uh, doesn't make it that much more difficult. He'll be on the two deep. They need him yeah. on the two deep. Yeah. They're too thin. He has to be on the two deep. Book it. He's healthy. He's on the two deep. Yeah, so when we were talking about the offensive line and your Voorhees initiative, people were asking, but who's going to – one person asked, who's going to back those guys up? And that's a big question mark, and that's why USC is still trying. Especially the interior. They want an interior guy just – not necessarily to start, but just to – be back there to help them out. Potentially a start, but potentially yes. if they get a starter, then hey, now you move Monheim or someone down one rung, um, and that makes you that much more deeper uh, because you have guys that have some experience on your depth chart. That's the big issue with the guys behind them. There's some guys with talent. I think Mason Murphy is a guy we could see a big jump from this year. Maybe Ty Buchanan, but 
Those guys have no experience at all. Mason Murphy barely got to practice last year because he got injured early in the season. Yeah. Uh, Taker's 11. Uh, I guess it was for me. Ryan, are we going to run the spread offense under Lincoln Riley? Uh, you're going to see the same offense you saw at Oklahoma, elements of the, you know, kind of based on the air raid. Uh, but if you've seen Lincoln Riley's offenses, I like Shotgun and Chris can kind of chime in too. But, you know, they, they've had a thousand yard rusher, I think, almost every year. Lincoln Riley was there. They I think they utilized the, the tight ends better. They still do. RPO kind of stuff, and you know they've had offenses where there was a more mobile quarterback, uh, like a Kyler Murray, uh, and you know we see Caleb Williams do that too. And you know Baker Mayfield could get escape pressure, but wasn't someone that is going to rip off fifty-yard runs all the time. So it it's adaptable. Uh, it's certainly spread concepts and air raid concepts, but it's you know kind of his own uh, doing. And you know it's it is one that they do like to run. You know they run the football, and you're seeing pulling guards and tackles and stuff. So they're I think there's some good options there. I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, how you would describe it? Yeah, I mean, Lincoln Riley is not going to be set and say, hey, we have this many receivers on the field at a time, this many um, tight ends, this many running backs. It's going to be, all right, what puts us in the best position to win? And we can mold the offense around that. And you see that he's used fullbacks in the past. He's used tight ends in the H-back spot, used them split out. He's used them in different ways. You know, he's gone with three wide receiver sets, four wide receiver, five. We had another question from Cam, is, is his base offense a three or four receiver set? I think it depends on the personnel he has. You know, that, that wide receiver group is the ultimate prove-it position to me. Because if you look at that depth chart, or you look at, not even the depth chart, you look at the names on there, Everyone has something to prove, whether it be Terrell Bynum. You know, he didn't do anything last year after being all Pac-12 two years ago. Whether it be John Jackson trying to get in the rotation. Kyle Ford, you know, big time coming out of high school, the injuries. Gary Bryant Jr., we talked about him earlier. Taj Washington, he had a chance to, you know, take over that role last year and never really did it, in my opinion. You know, he had some drops and had some other things. Can he become an explosive playmaker for them? Michael Jackson, similar, had a breakout in the spring, kind of faded a little bit during the fall. And the biggest one for me is Brendan Rice. Huge numbers as far as yards per completion or yards per reception and everything, but he didn't have a quarterback at Colorado. Being the son of one of the best, probably the best receiver to play in the NFL, Jerry Rice, then you're always having to try to prove something. So I think him and then Mario Williams coming over, Jake Smith, from the injury, a lot of guys trying to prove things, and then a couple of the young guys, C.J. Williams, Kyron Ware Hudson. Kyron Ware Hudson was hurt all last year. C.J. Williams coming in as a freshman, as a you know the biggest prospect at the wide receiver position. Everyone in that room has something to prove. So you know, I think that's the ultimate proven position. So whoever steps up, if three guys step up, four guys step up, that will change what they decide to do uh, with their base offense more frequently. And you saw that even with Graham Harrell's offense, where when they had the elite wide receivers they had a couple years ago, a lot of three, four wide receiver sets, did not have that this year. Ton of two tight end stuff, way more two tight ends than they had in the two years before combined. Yeah. Uh Going from offensive defense, the Rumble wants to know: uh, are We running a three-four or a four-three defense? 
three four defense primarily. Uh, you're gonna see the. I was trying to think. My brain was loaded. <laughs> I yeah. was looking at a different similar comment. front to what you saw with Todd Orlando. Yeah, you're gonna have a linebacker come down. Is gonna be you know coming off the edge. You know, and that changes what the defensive end on the other side is doing. So you know, I was talking with a couple of kids. Hunter Clegg's a guy that could. Um, you know, a couple of the edge guys I talked to this weekend are talking about they could be that linebacker where they have to drop in space, but they you know similar to Drake Jackson, or they could become guys with the hands on the ground. So it depends on how body types kind of mold there and be interesting what this defensive staff would have done with Drake Jackson because that man looks like a beast right now at 270 pounds which I know a lot of people on our message boards were calling for often uh, but he wanted to play a lighter weight wanted to be show his athleticism he did that some but how different would the USC defense would have how different would the de- defense have looked if he had his hand on the ground all the time yeah everyone kind of want to know that uh, Daniel had a couple questions we'll throw these to you Chris uh there's no, one says specifically shotgun. Uh, that's okay. Do you need uh, <laughs> linemen? I mean, he wants to know how many linemen. And, uh, you know, he picked up a couple of linebackers from Alabama and Auburn. And does USC have enough linebackers? Do you think that any more transfer portal linemen or linebackers? I don't think I don't think USC has enough linebackers, to be honest. Okay. At the very least, I think they need two more linebackers. I think they need one more experienced edge rusher. And I think they need one more experienced interior guy to at least for – I think for USC fans to be a little bit comfortable just because they don't have a lot of experience. You know, Romello Heights coming from Auburn, that's nice and all. He looks great physically standing there lifting weights, but he doesn't have a lot of experience. Looks like a monster in the background of some of those photos. Like, who's yeah. that guy? Because still getting that facial recognition. I was like, that dude looks yoked. And I was like, oh, that's Romello Height. Yeah. But not a lot of experience. Nope. They need patch rushing experience. They lost their three top guys at that position. Obviously led by Drake Jackson. They need that experience. Devin Tompkins, the signee, he's coming in the summer. You know, he's pretty raw. He's a basketball player that, you know, picked up football again in the his senior year. So they need experience there. They need guys that can come in right now in the middle linebacker spot. I think I think after spring, you're going to be able to tell that they're going to want to go back into the portal and try to get somebody that has experience. Um, and I think if they get two more guys, they can get by. They can get by until you can kind of reload with the class. Um and then as far as linemen, you know, I, Ryan, you and I talked about this. They're, they're, uh, they're in high demand. So, yes. you know, once a, a good guy, once a good port offensive lineman is in there, they get snatched up real quick. So USC has to be patient. They have to wait until after spring, after that next wave. You know, they definitely need at least one more interior offensive lineman and one more interior defensive lineman. Yeah, no, I in agree a, with you there. In a perfect world, they would get three one interior offensive lineman, another, and two defensive linemen, because you're hoping you'll get Josh Connerly to fill out that other offensive line spot. So ideally, they would bring in four offensive linemen, four linemen for the summer. Yeah. 2D, two offensive linemen, one factory in Connerly. Yeah, we, we saw the big flurry of in the transfer portal heading into spring, and now it'll be coming afterwards. We mentioned this before, like a Jay Toya uh, after spring football looked really good. He went into the transfer portal. So there'll be more transfers in the summer. And it gives the coaching staff a chance to evaluate what they have in the spring. And if you pick up a, like a Josh Connerly, oh, we don't need to, to go in the transfer portal and get a tackle. If you don't, maybe you try to get another tackle. But like Chris said, they're hard to uh, hard to get. Uh, you were talking about the you know linebackers. And Mark also had a question. Any concerns with Shane Lee's foot speed? He looks like someone who would struggle in space so that's the alabama uh linebacker transfer does he just look like he would struggle in space because of how big he is and he's how big how much he's 
dominating weights every time they show clips of him. Um, I haven't seen him in person. I think that's the best way to evaluate. I don't know, Chris, how much you watched uh, of his highlights or anything to, to see and make an evaluation on that. You know, he was playing for Alabama, so I think he had enough foot speed for them um, that, you know, he'll, he'll be fine for USC. Yeah. All I have to say is I would never say anything negative to that man's face. <laughs> no. USC has not had that middle linebacker that goes sideline to sideline mm-hmm. in a while. You know, the, the guys they've had from Cam Smith to uh, all the way to, to Kanai Malga are guys that are going to stay in the box and try to stuff the run, be that guy, rather than a guy that's chasing, you know, way outside and try to make plays or dropping really deep in a Tampa 2 or anything like that. So, you know, it would depend on how they try to use Shane Lee, but that hasn't been what USC has had in the last few years. So we'll see what Shane Lee brings to the table when we get to see him in person. Let's do a couple more real quick and we'll get out of here. Uh, Jasper wants to know, of all the players that transferred or declared early for the NFL draft, who will USC miss the most? Uh, his take is Michael Trigg. I mean, this one's pretty easy for me. We could eliminate Drake London, right? Isn't he be the one that you would say uh, you're going to miss the most? I would assume it's not factoring in Drake London. He's not. Well, he declared early for the NFL draft. I mean, he's part of the That's question. true. He did put it in there. All right, then we're all saying London. Ready, <laughs> ready, break on three. Outside of Drake London. The guy that would have won the Blitnikoff, which Chris went into a full argument for days on, it seemed like. Yeah. Why don't we, we cut it down to transfers? Who would, is there anyone, would you say, like a Jackson Dart or uh, anyone else that would be uh, I think it's Trigg. I mean, just because he showed something different than they have on the roster, and I like McCree, showed some similar things late in the season, so I think that lessens the blow there. But he showed he could be a dynamic playmaker in in that tight end position, which they just they haven't had since Ryan. What what's your you know Bryce Dixon's freshman year? It was yeah, similar, he was really good. Uh, but he had one year and he was done. Daniel Bebe's for like six games. He's one year, uh, yeah. the Rose Bowl season. Like they haven't had a consistent tight end weapon since McCoy. Is that the last one off the top of my head? Maybe Xavier Grimble. Um, he and was pretty good. Xavier Grimble and Randall Telfer as a pairing. You know that group together uh, gave you that. That and Jordan Cameron, if you counted him as a tight end, lead athleticism, even though they didn't throw it to him. I know. I was just saying, like, a guy like Jordan Cameron, like, makes a Pro Bowl, and, like, USC didn't even use him. You know, like, it was like, okay. Yeah, that's back when USC had talent upon talent upon talent. Little David different. Osbury, I think he was, he was, playing he was a wide receiver. receiver. Yeah, but he went to the nothing. NFL and played some tight end. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it just hasn't happened. So, Trigg is, it brought a different element. But, again, unfortunately for USC, it seems like they've been cursed with the tight end position of seeing those young guys flash and then not, whether it be injuries or off-field or transfer, you know, not being able to be a consistent producer at that position. So, he, he stands out there. Um, you know, I think the cornerbacks, if you include those draft guys, Jaden Williams, just the fact that they lost all three of their top cornerbacks, not necessarily one individual guy, but all three of them. I think that puts so much. It makes it so much the task so much more difficult for that cornerback room this year for Dante Williams. Cool. Uh, I guess we'll do one more Roman. Uh, Real quick, you okay. saw the you got the forty times, and it looked like uh, that Isaiah Taylor Stewart ran pretty well. To- he is listed having run a four four two, which is oh, know, yeah. pretty good, pretty good time. And Chris Steele ran a four four eight. Wow, those are both uh, decent times, yeah. And Keontae Ingram is listed as a four-five-three, which I'm a little confused about because his best time when I was watching was a five-four-five-nine. That was unofficial though, so maybe that's different. I, I don't know, but that's what he's listed as on the NFL.com. 
Um, but yeah, so it looks like three good runs. Drake Jackson did not run the 40. I guess he's saving that for pro day. Okay. Which is interesting. Makes you wonder if he's going to do the weight fluctuation thing like Sua did. Um, his draft day versus um, pro day, he was probably 15 pounds different. Uh, so maybe that'll be something. Someone said he weighed in at around 250-something, um, which I thought he would was weighing in a little bit heavier than that in his lead-up to it. So yeah. we'll see. He also had a 10-7 broad jump and a 36.5 vertical. It's funny. Former USC receiver Valus Jones had like a 4-3-ish yeah. or something. So it's like, wow. Another guy, like, you're like, oh, guy's got a lot of speed. Use it somehow. Like, they never seem to be able to uh, to do that. Um, well, well, I think with Roman 388, uh, health status on incoming freshman, five-star corner, uh, Damani Jackson. I'm trying to get more on this, but it kind of feels like, based off what Dante said, and it kind of feels like he's going to be slowly added back into the mix. You know, we've seen USC be cautious. I mean, obviously, this is a new people running the program so we'll see about that but it feels like this is going to be like a wean him in a little bit and then get him going because he hasn't played football in a while yeah yeah they don't want to they want to set back and then you know they just don't want to rush things so that's yeah. the what the vibe i've received as well cool all right well that was uh hopefully you guys enjoyed that one uh again apologies for the some of the technical difficulties uh early on in the show we are Retooling it, excuse me, retooling Tuttle Vision, obviously with with Keely not here. Uh, our intern, Nicole Sharon, is going to help out with some of the hosting duties. We would like to have, you know, some more different camera angles, different uh, guests, different options for the show. So that's why we're trying out some new hardware today just to, to test it out so we could do more things uh, with the show. That's why some of the audio issues and stuff there. We'll get all that stuff ironed out. Um, but looking forward to doing a lot more with that. Uh, with Chris Trevino with Shotgun, uh, possibly remotely sometimes. We'll try to get Gerard in here. We'll get guys, you know, former players and all that kind of stuff that, you know, different guests uh, to come on the show. So we plan on continuing to do that. Certainly with spring football coming up, we want to do regular shows. So probably still stick to the Sunday night, um, you know, depending on what the spring schedule is, where we can go. It's, Sunday night's probably going to be a, a good one to do that. So we'll continue going on with that. But again, thanks for holding on with us at, with on Twitter, on uh, Facebook, and on YouTube. We'll make sure we get some of the technical stuff uh, ironed out going forward. Uh, any last words from Chris or Shotgun or both? It's good seeing you guys. Yeah. I got to get these contacts out. You got to get them out. Uh, yeah, it's great seeing everybody again. We do appreciate you uh, tuning in. We'll get everything kind of cleaned up, and we'll get the show uh, rolling again. Uh, so thank you guys so much for tuning in to Tunnel Vision. We really appreciate you uh, joining with us and we will talk to you next time. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.